Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Ms. Catherine Gilliam. Catherine is a wellness dental hygienist, lecturer, author, and consultant. She specializes in teaching dental teams to incorporate the latest scientific research on the oral systemic links into practical clinical protocols. Catherine's interest in the medical side of dentistry led her to years of advanced study into the oral systemic links, including twice graduating with an advanced arterial wellness certification from the prestigious Bale Donine Preceptorship for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention for Healthcare Practitioners. Catherine has completed level one of the Functional Oral Systemic Health Mini Residency of the renowned Exceptional Dental Courses in the 2018 she earned a fellowship in the American Academy for Oral Systemic Health. Catherine earned her certification in biological dental hygiene from the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine in 2020. Catherine has been on the front lines of early detection of oral and oral pharyngeal cancer throughout her career. She serves as the Director of Education for Oral Cancer Cause and serves on the Dental Hygiene Advisory Board of the Oral Cancer Foundation. Catherine is a faculty member and dental hygiene specialty coach for the Productive Dentist Academy. A national speaker, a key opinion leader, industry influencer, Catherine has published multiple articles and continuing education courses. Catherine also serves on the peer review board for the Dental Academy for continuing education. After 30 years as a dental hygienist, Catherine continues to be passionate about her career as a dental hygienist and she feels her purpose is to love her patients back to health. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Ms. Catherine Gilliam. Catherine, it is such a pleasure to have you with me today on the podcast. I know we met so many times, two years in a row at Jumpstart, and I was completely impressed with your presentation this year. Actually, you blew us all away. You did an amazing job. Your presentation skills are outstanding. All of us are going to jumpstart to learn how to speak and, and, you know, to compete and, you know, get some acclimation for the work that we do in our presentation skills. And you just blew the top off of everyone this year. So congratulations for that. But it is indeed my pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I was so honored to get your email. I really appreciate it. Well, you know what? You're an outstanding example of a woman in dentistry making waves and leading us into the future. So with that said, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background and how you got into dentistry? And is this something you've been doing for a really long time? It is something I've been doing for a really long time. I actually grew up in dentistry. My father was a dentist. and I grew up watching him work, and my father was an amazing man. I'm sure every little girl feels the same way, but my dad really was. And he came to the United States in 1939 from Romania. His family escaped from Nazi concentration camps and pogroms and made it to Chicago, Illinois, when my father was 13. 
And shortly thereafter, his father passed away. So at 13, my dad became the man of the family. And uh, his mother worked in a sewing factory to support the boys. And my dad went to school and learned English. And eventually he earned multiple master's degrees and went to Loyola University where he earned his MD and DMD concurrently. Um, was quite an accomplished scholar. And he discovered that he loved practicing dentistry. So he went into the Air Force and became an Air Force dentist. And in that way, he was able to also use his medical skills because when the flight surgeons were away, he would be called on to do an emergency appendectomy or deliver a baby <laughs> or do any type of emergency surgery that they needed. So that it was so interesting to hear stories around the dinner table about my father's career and how much he loved doing what he did. And um, he became the go-to guy for all of the most challenging cases. So that was really interesting, too, to hear other dentists calling on the phone and saying, I need your help. And my dad collaborating and helping them and creating instruments and creating techniques to um, serve their patients. So it was very inspiring to watch my father at work. Well, let me just ask you a quick question. So was he a career dentist in the Air Force? He was. He served, I think, 35 years. Wow. In the 1970s, we were stationed in England, and he would bring patients home. These were uh, men who had served in Vietnam, and they were all young guys. They'd been injured. So he would take care of their dental needs, and then he'd bring them home for dinner. And typically, they were scared and quiet and uncomfortable. They were just waiting to go home back to the United States. My father brought them into the family to give them a feeling of just a little bit more normalcy while they were waiting. And usually they were very quiet at dinner. So my father would tell stories and try to make them laugh. He was quite the entertainer and very colorful. And by the end of dinner, I could see these guys transform. They would relax and they would smile and they would speak a little bit and tell us about themselves and their families. And that was inspiring, too, to see the way my father really cared for people and went out of his way to take care of the whole person. And in fact, I grew up hearing about how as far as our health is concerned, the health of our mouth can really dictate the health of our entire body. So as a little girl in the late 60s and the 70s, I knew there was a connection between the mouth and the body. And so as I grew, I understood that. And I took a little detour in college, decided I wanted to be a writer. But when I graduated, there weren't very many exciting writing jobs. I was offered jobs as a secretary. So I was fretting about that. And my father said, there are always exciting jobs in dentistry. And that you know, spark came back to all the memories of how I loved watching him take care of people. So I applied to dental hygiene school and I was accepted to the University of Texas and went to dental hygiene school here. I didn't consider dental school at the time because I'd already had four years of college and I was ready to start a family. And at the time, I didn't have role models. I didn't have examples of women who had successfully navigated being a dentist and being a mother. So I had that limitation. And now I look around, and, and for many years now, I've seen women do exactly that. 
Uh, but at the time, I didn't believe that was possible. So I went to dental hygiene school and I absolutely loved it. I had a really good friend in dental school with me who was very competitive. So we always had to be number one and number two, and it switched back and forth between us, but nobody else. Uh, we wouldn't allow anybody else to score higher than we did. <laughs> so we had a great time in dental hygiene school. Yes, it was so much fun. And when we got our results back from the national board exam, the dean of the dental school came looking for me. And he told me that I had scored the highest on the national board exam of any dental hygienist in the University of Texas system. Whoa. So he offered me a position in the fall class, um, the next class that fall. And regrettably, I turned him down because I was ready to start my family. And I look back on that now with so much uh, sadness because I could have had such a different career. Not that I don't love my career, but just the fact that I had those limiting beliefs that I couldn't do both. So that's, that's been one regret in my life. And it has taught me not to say no, <laughs> to always figure it out. So at the time, you know, I had a father from the old country and, and uh, didn't have the understanding that I could have done it all. But now I encourage everyone, if that's your dream, you can do it. You can do anything. And if your dream is dental hygiene, I'm right behind you too. It's been a fabulous career for me. So I've loved it. And I've eventually been able to use my love of writing and publish continuing education courses and articles. I have used my, um, my shocking interest in public speaking for a shy girl. And I've been able to do presentations and continuing education courses, lectures, and to go into practices and actually coach dental teams and get teams inspired to take better care of their patients and fall back in love with their careers again. So I've been able to do a lot of different things in dentistry. I think it's a fabulous career for any man or woman. You know, it's interesting you brought up a couple of really key points, and, and one of which that I'd love to focus on is, you know, when we go into our profession, we many times women and men feel like, you know, they're stuck in the chair, right? Because we have a lot equal amount of men in dental hygiene as we do in, in dentistry at this point. And they feel like, you know, if you're not in the chair, obviously you're not making any money, number one. So that's a little bit of an issue. But number two, that we, you know, clinically, that's all we can do. But there are so many more options out there today on how we can teach, you know, virtual platforms have changed everything. So we don't have to travel as much. I regrettably, I, I miss the travel piece of that. I, I'm sure that you do too, because many of us are, are road warriors and we love that. The aspect of a change of scenery, you know, once a month or, you know, every couple of months where we get to go someplace, maybe hopefully someplace, someplace new, but we feel like there's nothing more than what we've been trained to do. And there's so much more out there and you're living that, which is great. Congratulations. Thank you. I love it. It has kept my career really fresh for me. And also there's even more, you know, I, at one time I wanted to teach in a university and I was offered a position, but it didn't afford me enough. This is so sad. It didn't afford me enough income to support my family. So you know, just like teachers everywhere, teachers in dental schools are not compensated as they should be. But I love to teach. And so I get to teach 
you know, from the podium and, and in small groups as a coach. Um, there are people who do sales. There are people who do so many different things at trade shows, and there are a lot of opportunities. So I think that's a great thing about our profession. We, we do, I think, still have that core love of taking care of patients one-on-one and being in the chair, but there's also so much more. And for me, being at the chair five days a week was physically impossible. I had carpal tunnel problems and developed back problems. And so I had to think of other options. And just so happened for me that um, while I can still practice part-time, my other options are super fulfilling. You know, it's not like I had to do something that I didn't love. I just have more and more opportunities of more and more things that I absolutely love to do. So I am, I'm, forever grateful of getting into dentistry. And I can tell anyone, if you just need a break from being at the chair side, or if you want something to do in addition to being chair side, there are multiple opportunities. And um, I like being a connector. So if anyone wants to reach out and, and ask for help, I can put people in touch with other people who can help them on these various paths. That's awesome. That, what a great offer that you have given our audience. It's funny, we share the same name for a friend of ours, Vanessa Emerson. I called her the connector because quite honestly, you know, she has connected me personally with so many people in the field of dentistry that I probably would never have known had I not started to go to jumpstart and start focusing on some speaking as well. And you're proof of that, right? But I did call her the connector because that, you know, I feel like she's connecting dentistry in a lot of ways in a lot of us in the field, which is great. Absolutely. You know, meetings like Jumpstart are fantastic for connecting with people, networking, achieving different opportunities. I, I received some different offers at the last Jumpstart. Um, having the opportunity to stand on the stage and do a, a presentation is a wonderful opportunity in itself, but even just being in the small groups and meeting new people and meeting people like Vanessa who love to put other people together, it's just a tremendous opportunity. And I encourage everybody to do that. I'm like you, I love being on the road. I love conferences and meeting people. And that's something I've really missed the last few months. (laughs) I agree with you wholeheartedly. So let's talk a little bit about speaking. And then, you know, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about coaching as well. You know, how did you get into coaching and what inspired you to spend some time with, with dental teams and work on there? Is it specifically presentation skills to patients or is it teamwork? What do you focus on? Well, it's all of that because we need great teamwork in order to support anything new that we're doing in the practice. And I do a lot of work with my teams on communication skills because educating our patients and really connecting with people and building trust is the way that we'll get them to follow through with the treatment that they need. So that's a big part of it. I also work on technical skills. I work on educating them on all the oral systemic links so that they can really communicate with their patients and individualize, customize the care they give people. Um, I introduce them to new technology like microscopes and bacterial DNA testing and lasers and all the, all the incredible technology that we have at our fingertips, if we so choose, that helps us elevate the care that we give our patients. So for coaching, it really depends on the, on the team, exactly what they need, but they all get a little bit of all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Now, when we were on the road speaking all the time, were you speaking once a month, a couple times a month? Are you traveling everywhere now across the country or is it more local? I do get to travel across the country, never as much as I want to. I, I absolutely love speaking. There's a charge that you get when you're in front of a live audience that while I do plenty of Zoom webinars and more now than ever, it's not the same. So I love it and I accept just about every invitation that I get to speak. I still do local study clubs, but I do, um, I am fortunate now to go to some of the bigger meetings, maybe not the biggest in the country. That's something I still aspire to. And I still aspire to speak uh, outside of the country. I have spoken in Mexico and I hope to go to Europe and I've made some connections. I, I love to travel and I really think that some of my friends there are hygienists and they're hungry for some of the education that we have. And then I know they have some education and some technology that we don't have. So I would love to be part of that exchange. I agree with you. In fact, I, I was talking about this with a, a colleague who's from Greece. And one of the things we were talking about were the differences in the educational systems, specifically between the countries, Greece, and she did a, a postgraduate program in Denmark, and then the United States. And I found it interesting that, you know, our countries, even though the professions are the same, the way we approach things are very different. We're better at some things than other countries, and then we're way behind other countries on, you know, digital dentistry comes to mind right away. You know, we still have more offices doing Imbrigum impressions or, or alternate impressions than we do scanning. And so it's very different in Europe. I do know that they do a fair amount of digital dentistry there and it's very accepted in the techniques and the technology is way beyond what we have here. At least it was. Yes, yes. And it's really a lot of fun to compare and contrast. And I have a, um, a dental hygienist friend who came to a course of mine and she's from Denmark. And I taught her head and neck cancer exams and they weren't doing that. So she took that back and that was really exciting. So, you know, like you said, they're ahead in some ways and behind in others. And I would love to collaborate with professionals from everywhere in Europe and maybe Asia and who knows where else. I, oh, I have done a podcast with someone in Australia. I'm very excited to get to Australia and New Zealand. They have dental hygienists who do a lot more uh, hands-on than in most states in the United States. So I would love to be more worldwide and um, collaborate and teach around the world. That's very exciting. Very exciting. So as you matured in your dental hygiene practice and your father was continuing to do, you know, continuing to practice with the Air Force, would you discuss cases together? And, you know, if so, what was that like? I bet it was kind of cool to do that with your dad. It was really cool. You know, when I graduated from dental hygiene school, one of my most fond memories is that my father took my hands in his and he said, you have healing hands just like mine. Oh. Uh. And that was a big moment. A really big moment. I'm getting choked up. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's so sweet. And it's so nice because yes, it's so true. And, 
you know, I think he, what he was saying is he was so proud that you followed in his footsteps. You know, I'm sure that's, that's what he was thinking. Like you have healing hands just like I do because you're following me. And I think it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do something like that. So kudos to you. Thank you. It was very special. And I remember talking to him about cases or um, if I struggled with something, I knew I could call my dad and he would understand and he could visualize what I was saying. And there was just this legend calculus on the distal lingual of number 15. And I just couldn't get the right instrument. And, you know, he knew exactly what what I was talking about, or if I had a patient who was altered, or if I had a patient who was stubborn, or, you know, it was really nice to be able to collaborate with my dad. Mm, I bet. I bet. So tell us who in dentistry today inspires you? Well, I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> and of course, the first person, MJ, who comes to mind is you because you're on this new path and you are um, such a light to be shining this light on us, this beacon of women in dentistry, because we need that. We um, do need to empower one another and help each other up. And, and you know, when you reach a certain level in your career, if you're not reaching back to help somebody else up, then I feel like it's a waste. And I certainly haven't reached the pinnacle. I have a long, long way and a lot of things I want to accomplish too. But I really believe in empowering our colleagues and lifting each other up, supporting one another. So I love, I love that you're doing that. All the people who inspire me are people who are generous supporters of other women and other professionals. Um, I will say another name that comes to mind is my friend, Rachel Wall. She um, created Inspired Hygiene, fabulous coaching company. And she and I actually became coaches together. We trained together 20 some years ago. That started us each on that path. And she is very much like me. She's very much a collaborator and she's a very generous supporter. I just love Rachel. Vicki McManus-Peterson. Oh yeah. Yeah. Vicki's wonderful. She is the one who hired Rachel and myself and a few others and started us on our coaching careers. There are so many people in this world. And, you know, I'm also really inspired by the Gen Xers and the millennials in our field because they're so different from me at that age. I had a desire. I knew I had something to share, but I was too afraid. I was too, I didn't have the confidence to get out there and do it. And these women are out there. I'm so impressed with Emily Bogey and Michelle Strange and Amber Auger and Manal Sampat and Katrina, and Katrina Sanders. Yes, that's the name that comes to my mind too. Yes, they're out there doing what I only dreamed of doing. You know, they're not waiting till they're 50. They're out there doing it now. And I love that. And just think of how many other young women they're going to inspire. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and you bring up a really, really, really valid point because one of the things that I have on a regular basis realized is that many successful women do not take and turn around and lend a hand. I have seen women get to that point where the ego takes over a little bit and they are not supportive of other women because they're territorial and they, they want to you know, hold down their kingdom. I disagree with that so wholeheartedly because I think that the more the merrier, you know, when my, when my mom was alive, you know, and I was growing up as a little girl, 
when we were in high school, my mom would have breakfast for 25, 30 kids if that's who showed up. You know, it did not matter to her how many kids showed up. The more the merrier, Mary Jane, tell them to come on by. We'll just make more breakfast, you know, whatever it was. I love that. Yeah, she just was one of those people. And I think that generosity side of me came from watching her all the time and just seeing her gregacious nature about, you know, she was so happy to help and so happy to do for other people that, you know, we just, that's how we are in our family, that we just do for others because that's the way we're trained and that's what was expected and you help other people. And, you know, the the mere fact that there are others out there that don't, it's a sad, it's a sad thing because you get so much more by supporting one another than you do by taking that journey alone, don't you think? It's so lonely. I can't imagine, you know, I've been helped and had lots of support my whole career. And now I'm getting messages all the time, emails or messages on Facebook. And just the other day, a girl messaged me that she had an idea and she, you know, she was too timid. And I said, Oh my gosh, that's really aligned very closely with a presentation that I'm writing. Um, so I want you to, to do that, go out there and get on the stage and write an article and share this information. It's so, so important. And I said, if you don't, I'm going to put it in my, <laughs> my Good program. For her. Good for you. I wouldn't, but I really, I really wanted to light a little fire because she had it in her and I recognized that she was afraid to take that next step, just like I had been 20 years, 30 years ago. So I don't want anyone else to waste so much time. And it's really fun to get those messages and people reaching out and saying, how did you do it? And where do I start? And why not? Like you said, the more the merrier. I totally believe in abundance. There is a an abundance of dental speaking, abundance of dental speaking opportunities. There is an abundance of dental practices who need consulting and coaching. So I don't have any qualms about helping anyone else up. I think it's a lot more fun to do this together. And there's more than enough to go around. I've always believed that. You know, I, I remember having an interesting, impactful conversation with a a local dentist. And and when I first got out of dental school and he said, you know, where are you going to practice? What are you going to do? And I said, oh, I think I'm going to start a practice here in town. And his response was, don't do it. You'll never make it here. And I thought, okay, I could listen to him and not do it, but I wasn't going to listen to him. And it turns out that I ended up buying the condo next door to his. And um, sure enough, I did fine. I did fine. But it's interesting that scarcity mentality, how it can take over people. And, you know, you don't want anybody impinging upon your space. And it's too bad. It's really too bad. I want to go back to something that you brought up earlier uh, on confidence. So it sounds like when you were younger, you did not have the confidence that you do today. That's absolutely true. (laughs) Okay. So how did you develop it? Because I think that that's one of the key things that young women need to realize is that none of us who get anywhere in this life are born with innate confidence. Only one person I've talked to in all the podcasts I've done thus far, only one person has said, yeah, I was born this way. And that shocked me, but I could see how she was born that way. She was, it's part of her personality. 
most of us don't have that innate ability. So how did you develop your confidence along the way? And was there anything that contributed to that that you think might be helpful for the audience to hear? Well, I will say that I still have to work on being confident. It's not natural for me to feel confident. Uh, You know, I don't just wake up and think, I am awesome. (laughs) I've got this. So I have to remind myself and go through all sorts of uh, machinations sometimes to remind myself that, yes, I really have a lot to say. I am smart enough. I do have a lot of experience to share, you know. It doesn't come naturally, but when I was young, I think this happens to a lot of us. You know, we accept the labels that other people give us. So I was labeled because I I do tend to be quiet. I was labeled the shy one. Um, Well, it turns out I'm actually not shy. I may be quiet. I may be soft-spoken, but I'm not shy. But for years, I thought I was. And in high school, I had the role of being the quiet, studious one. I was the, the smart, brainy kid on the side. And my theater director realized that I really wasn't a shy person and, and wasn't happy being the quiet person on the side. So he cast me in plays and in musicals, and eventually he made me his assistant director. And as assistant director, at first I sat in the dark next to him and took all the notes and learned how to direct, and then he just let me do it. He just walked away and said, it's your show. And so I gained tremendous confidence by being the leader and having the responsibility of putting together these amazing productions. And that was the beginning of my self-confidence. I won't say that it was a straight shot up from there, but that certainly was a big, big boost to my confidence. And then I just have found that for me, I continue to invest in my education. I continue to invest in coaching whether it's speaker coaching or business coaching, um, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. So I've learned to reach out to other people to help me do those things. Um, I still get coaching now and then on being a coach. I think that um, it's really important to continue to build our skills and continue to learn just to be a lifelong learner. And that gives me confidence. I'm so confident now in my patient care that I have no qualms about telling a patient that I absolutely disagree with their physician and I believe they should get another opinion. And uh, many years ago, I never would have said that. But now I have enough experience and enough education about the body and oral systemic connections that I do know what I know. And I do know there are physicians out there that haven't studied what I have. And so that's a great feeling of confidence that I can take better care of my my patients and I can speak up and there's nothing wrong with that because I am their healthcare practitioner just as much as any other healthcare practitioner. So I've definitely elevated my identity clinically and as a speaker and a coach and that has taken for me a lot of time and a lot of uh, work, a lot of self self work. <laughs> Well, you know, that's it. That's another interesting point you bring up. So, you know, I have found in just my life, what we think about impacts everything we do. You know, I truly believe thoughts are things and that when we focus on those negative Nelly type thoughts, you know, we end up going to the negative Nelly side of life, right? But if we just, even though the fear can be crippling, take one step, 
just one step today. That's all you need to do. Take, do one thing that'll get you closer to the goal that you set. Each day, that step gets a little bit easier, a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And the next thing you, you know, you turn around and you're, you've accomplished what you set out to do. And I think that, that most people just get overwhelmed by what they think is the size of their goal. But if they just break it down into smaller chunks, that it is accomplished much easier step by step. Absolutely. And that's why I have pursued um, coaching for myself as well as how I coach other teams. You know, we just do one thing. Let's change one thing in the direction of becoming a wellness practice, for example. Let's take the first step. Because when you do look at the big picture, you think, oh, gosh, I could do this and I could do this and I could do that. And it's, it's a lot. But like you said, if you just do one thing at a time and accomplish that, then you can feel more accomplished and more excited and more proud. Oh, I did do that. I do have more confidence now. I can take this next step. And it makes a lot more sense. And I'm speaking from experience because there were so many years that I allowed myself to be overwhelmed and so many years that I suffered from imposter syndrome and didn't feel worthy, didn't feel like I'd earned the stage or earned the right to be in front of the room. And now I see that's such a waste of time. So that's why I encourage people, get out there and do it and invest in yourself so that you can feel you have the skills and you have the knowledge and then just do it. Don't wait 20 years. And we should never look back on our life with regret, should we? No. Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) Uh, What's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten? I love this question. Thank you for asking me this because the best piece of advice I've ever been given uh, comes from my friend Janet Hagerman who wrote the book Selling Dentistry. And she told me that other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And that was huge for me because I did have a need to be liked and a need to be a pleaser just grew up wanting everyone to think that I was a nice girl and I was a smart girl and I was, you know, everybody's friend. And if anyone didn't like me or didn't think I was a nice girl, it really hurt me. And while still I would love for everyone to like me, I'm over changing my life and what I believe and what I say to please other people. So that wasn't making me happy because I was really stressed out. I have very strong opinions, especially about dentistry. And I believe there's a certain way we need to practice. And that's what I talk about. And that's what I teach. And then I would be stung by somebody who didn't like what I said. And then I realized Janet was absolutely right. That's okay if they don't like it, but I sure won't change how I say it or what I say, what certainly not what I believe based on what other people feel about me. So that was very empowering to me that that's your opinion. That's a great model. You know, I don't know if you live by that, but it, it, that's a great model. It's a great, great piece of advice. It is. You know, when I read the uh, comments after I do a presentation, we all get our evaluations and it used to really hurt my feelings. Of course, we never pay attention to the 900 that are really positive, but that, that one or two or three, when there's somebody who doesn't like what you wore or the way you said something, 
you know, I would just focus on those things and really take it to heart. And, and I want to read those evaluations because I know I could tweak every presentation and be better and better each time. But instead of focusing on the ones that were super positive, or even if they had a bit of advice for me, I would focus on the negative. And I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and part of the, the reason that I don't is because of Janet and her great advice to me. Absolutely. Who has made the biggest impact on your life in dentistry? Would you say your dad? Absolutely, my dad. Absolutely, yes. You can hear it in your voice talking <laughs> about him. Uh, he sounds like a wonderful man. I wish I had an opportunity to meet him at some point. I wish you could have. He uh, passed away in 2010. You would have loved him um, because he loved, he loved dental students. He loved dental professors. He loved dental practitioners. You know, he always had something to share and a good word for everyone. And um, he was a great example of being a teacher and sharing what you learn, what you know. And um, so I'm super proud to follow in his footsteps. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. I'll share a, sh a quick story. When I was appointed dean of the clinics at Tufts, my dad was an educator and I came home and I, I showed him the announcement and he, it was just when he was beginning to fail mentally and I wasn't sure he understood. And he took the letter that I got that I was showing him and brought it over to the window and he read it and then he turned around and he said, you're a dean? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I am, Dad. And he said, wow, Mary Jane, good for you. And I just, you know, just like you, the same type of feeling comes back right all over again because, you know, I think that as a child and as, you know, daddy's girls, I guess, you know, I, I have three sisters, so I'm just one of four, but that you're always looking to please your dad, right? And your mom. And it, it was a, a moment in my day, in my life that I, I will never forget, just like you with your dad cupping his hands in your hands. Making daddy proud. It's really special. It is. All of us, I think, are becoming. I love the, the name of uh, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, because we're not human beings, we're human becomings, right? We're becoming something every single day. And we do have the choice on a day-to-day -day basis to become that person that we always wanted to be and live that big dream that we always wanted to live because we're changing every single day and becoming who we're supposed to be. So I love that. When you think about speaking, you know, I know that it's transitioned quite a bit now. What are your plans for moving forward? Do you hope that you can go back or are you loving being virtual? You know, I know that you'll miss the travel, but let's take the travel side away from that and tell me a little bit about what, how the transition to virtual has, has been and has it been successful, do you think, or would you rather go back to live presentations? Well, being virtual has been very successful. I wasn't so sure in the beginning about the technology and about whether I would be able to connect with people and whether people would um, feel the enthusiasm, for example, or the passion, or if they could be inspired through a screen. And that has been actually very impactful and successful. I've had lots of great feedback from that. So I'm really happy to know that I can communicate virtually and make a difference. But I am looking forward to being live again with people because there's something about the energy in the room and the live questions and the interactions between 
uh, attendees and the speaker and attendees and one another that can happen. And, and I love doing hands-on workshops. I do hands-on with um, head and neck cancer presentations. So I do miss that. And I do hope one day we'll be able to do that again. I agree. I totally agree. But I do think that the switch to virtual has made things a lot easier. And from the planning side, so for example, Yankee, from the planning side, it's certainly been difficult to figure out what, what we're going to do every year and, and where we're going to go with our program. And nothing has finally been decided. But we know that we have to have two components. We have to have the live networking connection piece and maybe partner it with a vir virtual educational piece because so much education has occurred over the last four months. Not everybody's going to need education at the next big event, right? Or the next, you know, dental convention. People have had their education. They've taken all the courses that they need for the next series of years. But that education obviously will never stop. But the way we do it is going to change, I think, forever. Yes, and I'm a big part of, um, or I'm not a big part, I'm a part of AOSH, and that's the American Academy for Oral Systemic Health, and I'm part of the marketing committee, and they are working really hard now on the virtual meeting that's coming up in August on the 28th and 29th, and they've put a lot of focus on that networking piece, because as you say, a lot of people have been home for a long time doing webinars and getting CE online, but I think we've really missed that connection with one another. And so they're really focusing on the ability to interact with the presenters and interact with other attendees. And I'm so interested to see exactly how that will work. And I've seen how you can have breakout rooms and Zoom meetings. So I imagine it will be something like that where you can have some smaller rooms and throw ideas together with one another because I learned so much at dental meetings from hearing how other people do things. And I think that people are hungry still for that connection, especially now that we've been, you know, in this forced separation, especially people like us, you know, we're people, people, and uh, so many other dental professionals are people, people, and that's why they get into this profession. And when you're a solo practitioner, it's, it can be very lonely. So you can get so much from just the interaction with other people and know that, yes, if you um, transition your practice this way, it will work, it can work, and you can do this and you can do that. And that support and camaraderie is something that's so important. I think that Yankee adding that component to the meeting, I think that's where people are going to be excited to come and register for that, even though they don't need any more hours. Right. You're absolutely right. Tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. Um, one thing in, in uh, my professional life that people might be surprised about is that while I seem very quiet, I'm actually very strong and very opinionated. And I don't suffer fools very well. I don't accept clients who are not practicing above the standard of care. Some people are not even practicing at the standard, which as we know is a minimum standard. So I expect a lot from my colleagues and um, for all of our patients. I have very high standards. And so I'm kind of tough on my clients. And uh, I actually enjoy the, the challenging conversations 
that may be very difficult for some people. You know, dentists often hire consultants because they think their hygienists are the problem. And sometimes I go in and observe and I find that, no, it's not that the hygienists are not selling dentistry. It's you, doctor, who is unselling <laughs> after they set up, set up the uh, the sale for you, you're backpedaling and shooting yourself in the foot. So sometimes it's interesting for me to have those hard conversations and be successful with those. So I love the challenge of that. That's a great characteristic to have in your back pocket. Good for you. It takes people by surprise because I don't have the appearance of being a very forceful person or a, a very tough chick, but I have that aspect <laughs> to my personality. <laughs> It just, it just doesn't match the outside. It doesn't show on the outside, <laughs> that meek, beautiful, uh, soft appearance to your outside. People know that I'm a piece of, of Italian bread. It's hard and crunchy on the outside and soft and squishy on the inside, but everybody knows I'm a tough, you know, I'm tough on the outside. So that's nice to have. What a great characteristic. I love that about you. <laughs> that's how somebody described me once when I was first at the school that, you know, is like a piece of Italian bread. And <laughs> I've never forgotten that. I thought, I thought it was a great description of me. So somebody obviously picked me up very quickly. So moving on to our next question. Have you ever had an aha moment where you realize, oh my God, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do? Is there ever, have you ever seen that happen or felt that happen internally where you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm so happy that this is what I finally get to do every day. Actually, I've had several of those aha moments. I've had those with patients when a bouquet of flowers is delivered and somebody says, you know, um, it took my dental hygienist to help me breathe and get a good night's sleep. Or, um, you know, I no longer need my medication. But, you know, when you have someone hug you and thank you for changing their life in a major way, it's just um, overwhelming. And those are aha moments to me that I know I'm on my path. I know that I'm doing uh, exactly what I'm meant to do. And those are really, really special. Every now and then, every now and then I get a, an aha moment from a client or an attendee, I'll get a text message uh, or an email. I just recently had an email that a dental hygienist who had not been doing cancer screenings had found an early lesion. And the uh, surgeon said that she saved that patient's life. And I just think that's it. That's why I do this. That's why I um, try so hard to get meeting planners to book me, <laughs> you know, because one person really does need to hear me. You're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that I think that, you know, we really have to pay attention to is that ripple effect that we have on people. You know, we don't real, and we were talking about this earlier, we don't realize the impact that we can have just by being kind or just by being nice or just by being generous with even just our time. That little ripple effect does affect the world and it makes it a better place. So, you know, we have to keep doing those things and focusing on that. And thank goodness we have the opportunity. Isn't it nice? I'm so grateful to have the opportunity. We don't always know. We won't always know the difference that we make in somebody's life. But every now and then we get these glimmers that, yes, we're making a difference. And that makes it all worthwhile. So grateful to do what I do. Yeah. 
How do you manage stress? Because we all have stress and, you know, everybody has to figure out a way to manage theirs. How do you manage yours? I used to have a really great yoga practice. And I will say since the pandemic, I have gotten out of my routine and I really miss it. So thank you for this question. It will, I think, refocus me and get me back to yoga because it's very centering. I also used to do a lot of meditation and I've while I've continued to try to practice meditation, I've had a hard time quieting my mind. So lately, the way I've de-stressed is with guided meditation. Thank goodness for apps on our phones. Uh, that has helped me quite a bit lately because I used to be able to just, I had practiced for a lot of years and I could go very deep into a meditation and find the peace and serenity that I really needed and get centered again and go back out there and do it all again another day. But lately I've been a little off balance. I think if I were doing tree pose, I would <laughs> would have a really hard time um, because everything has felt very off balance the last few months. But having that technology that can bring me the uh, mindfulness that I need and the calming meditation that I need has really been beneficial. And I know I'll get back to my normal practice, but that's something that has really helped me the last few months. Yeah, I will have to say that I agree with you that the pandemic has interrupted all of our exercise routines. Obviously, you know, if you went to the gym on a regular basis, like I did, you know, that had to stop and switching to doing everything in inside your home and setting all of that up, you know, and, you know, I, I live in Boston during the week and in Maine on the weekends. And so, you know, I have lots of stuff at home in Maine, but nothing really here in Boston. So, you know, it's, it's that balance of, of trying to figure out how to manage it. And it's not easy to get back into the routine when you get out of it so quickly. It doesn't take long to get out of it. It takes forever to get back. It is so easy to get out of a routine. And I, the other day I uh, got down on the floor and I was just going to do some stretching and, and just a few asanas. And, you know, I have an eight month old puppy who was just all over me. I realized That's right, so cute. I really need to go back to my yoga class because I can't get it done here with her. No, I, I can't imagine you can get anything done. She is so adorable. How is she doing? What's her name again? Her name is Luna. Luna, that's right. She's a huge dog. She's about 75 pounds now at eight months and has no idea how big she is. So she flops all over me and, you know, a downward dog. She was in my face licking me and <laughs> on my back. She's crazy. Oh my gosh. But she is so beautiful. I mean, but think about it this way. They're doing uh, yoga with goats now. So, you know, <laughs> think of her as your goat. <laughs> I'm dying to try goat yoga. That looks like so much fun. <laughs> I know, I know. Whenever somebody mentioned it, I'm like, yoga, goat yoga, really? <laughs> and and I saw a picture and I'm like, okay, if that does it for you, I don't know that it would do it for me, but okay, <laughs> whatever works. <laughs> um, so next I want to ask you about a guilty pleasure or a secret dream. Do you have any of those in your <laughs> life? So either one is fine or both is fine. But if you had all the money in the world, what would you, what would be one of the first things you did? Oh, I would, I would travel, of course. Where would you go first? The Greek islands. Ah. So my secret dream is that I would have several months 
in a fabulous little place in the Greek islands all by myself and I would write and I would accomplish a book or two. And then my family and friends would all join me for celebration <laughs> and we would enjoy the islands all together for another few weeks. So that's a little secret dream that I have. I would love to do that with you. Oh my gosh, that sounds so fabulous, doesn't it? The white sand, the white buildings. Yes, let's plan that, Mary Jane. <laughs> okay. I'm all on board. We actually, I have a good friend actually that is from um, Greece, so I'm sure she can tell us where to go. It's a date. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. How do you maintain your composure when you have a bad day? You know, especially I, I think when we go back to treating patients, you know how sometimes you're, you're with patients and, you know, somebody's having a bad day and they come in and they tip you off and, you know, you give them back the energy that you're giving, that they're giving you or vice versa. You know, how do you recompose yourself? I know that that's difficult for a lot of people. Do you have a method that you use? I actually do because I am very empathic. And I learned a long time ago that I can, um, like probably many of us in this field, very much feel the energy of other people. And I was, years and years ago, I was driving and suddenly became very, very stressed. And I had no idea what was happening to me and my heart started racing. And I looked at the car next to me and there was a guy there who was just banging his steering wheel at a stoplight and he was banging his steering wheel and he was so angry and stressed. And I realized that I was feeling his stress. Um, because I was perfectly fine before that. Um, so I became more aware of being empathic. I started reading about it and uh, talking to people and learned some techniques for actually creating a bubble around myself to protect myself from other people's emotions. And I don't, walk around in that bubble all the time because I love being able to connect with people emotionally. And I think it's one of my superpowers with my patients because you can affect other people's emotions by your emotions. So they may come in very stressed and I try very pointedly to have them relax and feel my emotions. So it's very important to me to be in control of my emotions and to master my own emotions. But every now and then, there is a patient who can get to me, just like with any of us. So I'm aware when I start to feel that stress, I, I um, make it a point to direct the conversation in such a way that I stay very, very positive and I try to lift that person up into a more positive place so that they leave the appointment feeling much better than when they came. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I really and very conscious of and very aware of in my practice. I'm very empathetic and I try to affect my patients in a really positive way. Every now and then <laughs> it doesn't work and I may be less resourceful that day. I may um, be more tired or maybe I haven't eaten. Uh, you know how we practice and you have a choice of either a sip of water or you can go to the restroom, but you certainly couldn't do both. And a handful of nuts, that's out of the question these days. <laughs> you know, Things are just crazy. So there are days that I'm less resourceful and it's happened recently. So what I do is, you know, we're changing PPE between every patient. And so when I'm in the back changing clothes, I'll, I'll have some positive self-talk. And if that doesn't work, you know, and I talk about my mission and my purpose. And so I talk to myself about why I'm there. And if that isn't enough in those few seconds that I have while I'm changing clothes, then I will ask a teammate 
you know, to just help me center. So, you know, I had a, had a patient and I wasn't very successful with this patient. And um, we sort of have a routine that we can lift one another up pretty quickly and help each other sort of snap out of uh, a negative place. So I really rely on my teammates and on my doctor for that, and they can rely on me for that as well. And so I do have those, those techniques that I use. I love that. I think that is fabulous. You know, self-talk, but then, you know, reaching out to your teammate if you can't get out of your funk and say, okay, I'm struggling here and I, I can't get out of my bad mood or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, this person just has irritated me so much that I can't get out of my own way. Help me. You know, I think women in general just never ask for help enough. I think that's so true. And it's a shame because we all have so much to offer one another. So if we can come from a place of non-judgment and just be there for one another, just love one another enough that when somebody reaches out for help, it doesn't take long, you know, to give somebody a hug or now we can't do that, which I so miss, but to just lift one another up and say, you know, you are great with your patience. You are a beautiful soul and it shines through and your patients appreciate you and they love you and they know that you love them. That took like 20 seconds. But when somebody says that to you and it can recenter you and get you back on purpose and you, and you can say, yes, I love my patients and they appreciate me and they love me back. I'm on it. I'm ready for this next one. And I may have blown it with that last one, but I have a chance again in three months when he comes back. And for now, I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to be back in my, my happy place for my next patient. When we do that for one another, that's when we know that's my teammate. You know, that's when we know we are supported and we're there for each other so that we can be the best we can be for our patients. And I love that. Oh my gosh, what a great thought process and way to handle negativity. I, kudos to you for developing that. And I, I'm sure that that's going to make a huge impact on the audience because, you know, not everybody has that ability to do that. And I think that it's very easy for us to just ask for help. And you just told them what exactly, step by step, what to do. So thank you for that. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, sharing this time with you. I loved getting to know you more. You are a gentle giant. I can see that in you. I absolutely can see it in you. So I wish you the very best and continued success on your virtual experiences. And I am hoping that our paths cross very soon in person. I hope so too. I really do. Thank you so much. I absolutely love that you're doing this podcast, that you're empowering women to support one another. And we need this. We need it in dentistry and we need it in the world. And I just want to thank you so much for letting me be a little part of it. It was my absolute pleasure. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.